Okay, well, uh, thanks for coming out today, especially on a holiday weekend. Just uh, just want you to know, like always, we appreciate the fact that you choose to make this a part of your schedule, and uh, it's just cool to be together. So glad that you decided to uh, to join us. For those of you watching online, I want to welcome you as well. And uh, if you are watching this online because you are out of town for Memorial Day weekend, I just want to remind you about our Wednesday night services. It goes for all of us as well. All summer long, we're going to have an exact copy of what happens on Sunday, the following Wednesday. So that way, if you do happen to be out of town, you can still enjoy church and stay connected and all those sorts of things. And in addition to service at 630 on Wednesdays, from 4 to 6, we're also having food trucks. I think we got Mel's taco truck lined up this week, this Wednesday. So even if you were here for service, come on back out and enjoy some food, okay? So food trucks and yard games and all that sort of stuff all summer long. So uh, be sure and put that in your schedule. And uh, those of you watching online, you don't have to miss out either. So we'd love to have you be a part. Now, today we're starting a brand new series called Survival Guide for the Soul. And... Uh, the reason we're going this because it just kind of seems like in culture today, survival-based things are growing in interest. You know, there's all sorts of shows out there like Alone. Anybody watch Alone? Okay, three of us. Cool. It's a great show. I suggest you watch it. It's really cool. Uh, there's shows like Naked and Afraid. Don't recommend that one as much. It's kind of boring and a stupid premise. So um, Dude, You're Screwed is another one. There's all sorts of new survival companies and businesses coming out trying to sell you survival packs, you know, for if you get lost between here and Cambridge. Um, there's like the whole prepper movement is growing and learning how to, you know, grow and sustain your own food. It, it, it just seems like we're becoming a little more interested in survival sorts of things. But usually all of the survival that we talk about, that we look at, that we try to learn, is all having to deal with the physical side of things, you know? How do you survive without shelter? How do you survive without food? How do you how do you make it if there's no electricity and zombie apocalypse comes, you know? And and all those sorts of things, but rarely if ever do we talk about how to survive on the inside. How do we survive emotionally, mentally, maybe even spiritually? Because the truth is we're all going to face troubles in this life. You know, there are going to be situations that come up where it feels like a survival challenge based on what's going on the inside. And, and having a skill set to deal with no shelter is one thing, but not having a skill set to deal with a lack of peace is a completely different thing altogether. And so over the course of this series, the next several weeks together, what we're going to do is talk about some of the principles that we see in surviving physically Take those same ideas and apply them to how do we survive spiritually? How do we survive on the inside? How do we make it out alive when we, when we run into these sorts of situations? Now, on April 11th, 1970, shortly after 1 p.m., Apollo 13 launched from Kennedy Space Center in Orlando, Florida towards its mission on the moon. And um, the first... The, the, the launch went flawlessly. In fact, the first couple days of Apollo 13's mission went absolutely perfectly. They had several kind of scheduled course changes already planned, you know, for weather. You know, you never know what's going to happen out in space. They canceled two of those because everything was just working perfectly. It was going all according to plan. But two days and eight hours into Apollo 13's mission, everything changed. And 
Maybe you've heard the story before or, or read some history on it. Maybe you've seen the movie. Uh, on that second day, they had two oxygen tanks and one of them exploded. And in the explosion, it also damaged some of the wires and connections on the second oxygen tank. And so not only was this a problem for the astronauts breathing and air and stuff like that, but they also used these oxygen tanks um, for electricity generation and water generation. And it was just a massive problem. And this is where the phrase Houston, we have a problem comes from. These three astronauts up in space were experiencing quite a challenging situation. And so in this spaceship that they were in, I don't know exactly what the term is, but there was a service module and then there was a smaller lunar module. And so mission control down in Houston instructed all three guys, go cram into the lunar module. We need to preserve resources. We do, you know, they're going to take the trip around the dark side of the moon and use the moon's gravity to kind of get back to earth. But they needed to preserve as much as they possibly could. And so all three guys went into the lunar module they rationed down their food and their water. They were only drinking six ounces of water a day, a person extremely low. But in doing that, they were able to preserve enough. They were also able to cut their electricity down by 80% so that they could get back home. But inside this lunar module, there was a problem that, that kind of occurred that, that nobody had thought of. And that was that the carbon dioxide levels were rising at a rapid rate. This lunar module was designed for two people for a short period of time just while they were on the moon. And now there were three guys in there for a prolonged period of time. And every time the astronauts would exhale, the amount of carbon dioxide would increase. And it was getting to a point where it was going to start to be toxic and lethal. And so uh, there, were, there were carbon dioxide absorbers, they're called, in the lunar module. But there was only one. And again, it was made for two people. And so... These three astronauts call back to mission control in Houston and say, hey, man, the, the CO2 levels are rising. We don't know what to do. There's only one absorber. There were several other absorbers in the larger service module, but I don't know who designed them. They were square, and the ones they needed for the lunar module were circular. And so how do you fit a square filter into a round hole? That's what scientists and engineers feverishly work to figure out how do we provide a way so that these astronauts can get clean air to breathe? And maybe you remember this scene from the movie Apollo 13, but I just want you to watch what happened after the, the engineers figured out, here's the filter we're going to create. Here's how they told the astronauts. If you haven't seen the movie, I highly recommend you do. It's a great movie, but that is a real-life story of three astronauts whose only hope was the voice of one man at Mission Control. There were no YouTube videos to watch on how to put a square filter in. There was no emails they could send, no picture text messages. There was no manual they could have even read ahead of time. They were three men thousands of miles away in the vast expanse of space, but surviving because they listened to a guide, a voice from mission control. And when you and I are facing physical survival sorts of things, this is a great thing to do. Listening to a guide, talking to a guide. If, if we were going to plan a trip up to the, the boundary waters in Northern Minnesota for the first time, it would be wise to talk to somebody who's been there before. Okay. Don't just try and I'm going to rough it on my own. No, you're going to die. Okay. Don't do that. It's not smart. 
If we're going to take a week-long, you know, hiking excursion through the Rocky Mountains, it, the smart thing to do would be to talk to a guide, talk to somebody who lives there. What weather should I watch out for? What sort of perils should I be aware of? What sort of things should I see, you know? In all these survival packs that are being sold nowadays, one of the things that is in all of them is some sort of long-range communication device, whether that's a walkie-talkie or a satellite phone or or something else. And oftentimes, if we find ourselves lost, maybe you've read stories about this sort of thing, having a guide, being able to communicate with someone outside of the situation can often mean the difference between life and death. Listening to a guide is a wise thing to do. But what do we do when we're lost in anxiety? You ever been there before? Where it feels like this the fear and the worry are just sucking the oxygen out of your lungs like the astronauts on Apollo 13, where the fear and worry is so overwhelming. When you're just lost in that emotion, wouldn't it be great to have a guide then? Who could guide us through something like that? What about if you're lost in loneliness? Have you ever been there before? And maybe there's lots of other people physically around you, you know, at your house, your neighbor, your work, here at church. But, but on the inside, you feel like you are in an endless forest. And no matter how hard you scream and no matter how hard you run, nobody else really understands how lost you feel and that, that relational and emotional separation from somebody else. Have you ever been lonely like that? What, wouldn't it be nice if there was a guide to lead us out of that loneliness? How about anger? Maybe you never thought about anger this way, but I know sometimes it's, it's felt like for me, like I am in this endless sea of anger, like I'm trapped on this deserted island and I want to get off. I wish there was a life raft I could take, but, but if you're like me, you just look around and everything is, it's like looking through angered colored glasses, you know, and it's just this, this tension and this emotion bubbling over and I wish I could get, I wish I could get out. And physically speaking, when we talk to a guide, it can, it can make all the difference in the world. But is there a guide we can talk to spiritually? How do we survive those sorts of situations that happen on the inside? During the Last Supper, Jesus said something that I'm sure the, the disciples sitting around him probably caused him to about spin their head off their shoulders with this. But Jesus said these words, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Now, sometimes we, we read the Bible or we hear verses read to us. And we just kind of brush over them, but I want to just stop for a moment and try and put ourselves in their shoes. Imagine you are one of, one of the disciples sitting there at this last supper with Jesus He's pouring his heart out to you. And then he says, hey, uh, I'm heading out, but don't worry, you'll be fine. Can, can you imagine how ridiculous that would have sounded? I, imagine if you were Peter and you walked on water with Jesus. I'm not sure anything could be better than that, you know? Imagine you were Matthew and you were, you were a tax collector. You were an outcast, but because of Jesus, now you are an insider. You were brought into the inner circle. Imagine you were James or John, two brothers, and Jesus gives you the nickname Sons of Thunder. Like, good luck finding a friend who's going to give you that cool of a nickname again, you know? I mean, just, just try and put yourself in their shoes, right? Here's, here's men and women. Imagine all the campfire stories they would have heard. 
Imagine all the miracles they would have seen firsthand. They had just spent three years with Jesus, seeing some of the coolest stuff that they ever had in their life. And then Jesus says, yeah, but don't worry. I'm going to go. It'll be better. This is not recorded in John's gospel, but I can imagine. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the men and women started to kind of chirp up and object. Like, well, hold on, Jesus. Wait a minute, Jesus. Are you really sure about this? This is what he said. This is the truth. But it's not everything Jesus said because he goes on to say this. In fact, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And the advocate is the Holy Spirit. He goes on just a few sentences later to say this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And the Holy Spirit has many different roles and functions in our lives. He can give spiritual gifts. He can comfort. He can teach. But one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to be our guide, to help us navigate this life closer in a relationship and a connection with God. You see, when, when, when Jesus was with his disciples, he was just with them next to him, but the Holy Spirit would be in them. I think that's why Jesus could say so confidently, listen, it's, it's better for you. He knew in the long run it would be better for his disciples to have someone always in them. When, when Jesus was here on this earth, he could only be in one place at one time, but the Holy Spirit wasn't going to be limited that way. And for the disciples, and in fact, for every believer today, the Holy Spirit is an ever-present guide to help us navigate life. In Corinthians, in one of his letters to the Corinthians, Paul writes about the incredible benefit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He writes that no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind can even fathom the incredible things that God has prepared for us. But he goes on to say this about that. But it was to us that God revealed these things, these things that are beyond what we can understand on our own. He's revealed that to us by his Spirit. For his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. But here's the good news. We have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. The reality is there are so many riches and wonderful things that come with knowing God and being connected in a relationship with him. But you and I as human beings trying to understand that on our own would be like trying to scale Mount Everest in jeans and a t-shirt for the first time. You know, like maybe you'll get there, but most likely you're going to die on this, you know, sort of thing. And it's, it's part of the role of the Holy Spirit to guide us to the things of God. It's the Holy Spirit's role to show us who God is. It's the Holy Spirit's role to reveal to us the character and attitude and, and heart of our Heavenly Father and And the more we are in a relationship with God, the more we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, the more we can be transformed and changed to understand these wonderful things about God. Think think about in your life, you know, when when you face troubles and challenges, right? We're going to all face difficult situations and, and maybe it's a difficult situation at home. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's just something isn't working the way that it's supposed to be working. 
How do we normally respond in those situations? Well, if you're like me, there's frustration. Sometimes there's uneasiness. Oftentimes, depending on what it is and, and how frustrated I am, I can just feel like I want to give up. You know, throw in the towel. I don't want to do this anymore. But what if there was a guide to help us through it? That's part of the role of the Holy Spirit. In Romans, Paul writes this, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. How? because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. This, to me, sounds like soul survival, endurance, and strength, and hope. But how? Through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. See, I would guess every single one of us, whether you've been in church for a long time or not, whether you've been a Christian or not, we all probably know God loves us, right? It's just out there. It's a fact. Unfortunately, it's almost in the realm of cliche at this point. You know, God, lo- one plus one equals two. God loves us. They're almost the same. And for a lot of us, we know the information up here, but it never travels to here. Well, that's, that's the role of the Holy Spirit to guide us deeper and deeper into the love of God. That when we face trouble, When we face problems, when we face these situations that we don't know what to do, we can be reminded, okay, God, you still love me. And it's more than just information up here. It actually becomes transformation on the inside. And the more we are transformed on the inside through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the better equipped we are to face survival sorts of situations, at least emotional and and mental and spiritual sorts of things. What about, I think a lot of us, we get into some survival, some fight or flight sort of situations when it comes to issues with self-control, you know, whether that's pornography or alcohol or anger, or maybe, you know, financial sorts of decisions. The reality is every single one of us can so quickly and so easily spin out of control. And I know we like to think that we're strong and we can face it, but man, we got to, we got to be honest with ourselves, all of us, myself included, we are a lot less strong-willed than we'd like to believe in moments of temptation, but we have a guide to help us through that. In Galatians, the apostle Paul writes this, he says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Every single one of us, we have this this nature, this tendency, this inclination to do things that even we know aren't good. I mean, we could all, nobody would want to, but we could all sit up here on this chair and share stories about words we said, things we've done and places we've gone that we absolutely regret. We all have made choices in our lives that we wish we wouldn't have. That's our sinful nature. And Paul goes on to write the result of that sinful nature. Here's what it often looks like in our lives. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, hey, this is what happens. It's very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, 
hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And outside of sorcery, I've done all those. Haven't you? I think if we're honest with ourselves, the answer is yes. We've all fallen into these sorts of behaviors and attitudes and and ways of living. And here's the thing about all of these results of our sinful nature. We know they hurt us, right? It's not just like, oh, well, the Bible says it. We all know we've lived it. We all have those regrets and those pains. I have never once um, been jealous and come out as a better person on the other side. You know, it always hurts me. It, It often hurts people around me as well. I've never once had an outburst of anger towards someone I love and then five minutes afterwards been like, man, isn't our relationship great? No. Every time it hurts and we can either keep running the same direction, keep being lost in the wilderness, giving into our sinful nature, or there's an alternative. Paul says this is the alternative, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The more we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, the more this fruit is produced in our lives. And I just want us to think for a moment, like, how much better would our lives be if we had more of this fruit? If you're married, how much better would your relationship with your spouse be if you had more love or faithfulness? Think that would change things? Think you'd have a stronger, healthier marriage if we would allow the Holy Spirit to produce that in us? Think think about our bank accounts. How much better would some of our bank accounts look if we had more patience or more self-control. And we can try and grit our teeth to get there. We're all going to fail. What if instead we allowed the Holy Spirit to guide us? Think about any other regret that you might have in your life. How, how much different would the situation have been different if you had more kindness or goodness or peace on the inside? You see, I, the, I believe with all of my heart that the Holy Spirit can and wants to and is given to guide us if we let him. What do we do with with fear and anxiety and worry and, and uneasiness? I mean, those of us at least that are my age, uh, the, the world that we're living in right now is the most crazy it's been in my lifetime, you know? There's so much uncertainty and the economic climate is crazy and we're fresh off a worldwide pandemic and the housing market is still out of whack and election fever is already starting to set in for many people in the news channels and maybe you have a loved one who's in the hospital maybe you're facing an illness yourself maybe you're about to lose your job maybe you're about to get divorced and like i think there are some of us in our lives we would rather be lost in a million acres of wilderness than face what we're going to have to tomorrow morning What do we do then? Well, we have a guide that we can lean into. Jesus said this, 
But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and of heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. How much, whatever situation you're in right now, or maybe you can think back to a time in your life, how much would you pay if you could guarantee peace? If it was, if it was for sale in the store, how, what, what, what ticket would you pay? What price? I know there's times in my life where peace was more appealing to me than a billion dollars. Now, not all the time, okay? Sometimes my life is pretty good and a billion dollars sounds awesome. But there have been moments of struggle and trial and fear and worry or relational problems where peace was the most important. And I would have paid any price had I just bought it on the shelf. But here's the thing. We don't need to go buy it on the shelf. That peace was purchased for us when, when Jesus opened the door to a relationship with God. It's, it's our faith in Jesus that gives us access to God, that makes us right with God. But it's as we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us that we experience the results and the freedom and the transformation of that relationship with God. And here's the thing the Holy Spirit can teach and remind us that, you know what, Jesus is Lord, that he's coming back one day, that he's preparing a place for us, that God's going to be good on all of his promises, all of those things that no matter what happens with the election, no matter what happens with our job, no matter what happens in a relationship, God still sits on the throne. And the more we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us back to that truth over and over and over again, the more peace we experience as a result. It's like the voice of mission control in those astronauts' ears. It's okay, grab that tape. Tape this seam. Use this bag. We, we got it under control. It's going to be all right in the end. The Holy Spirit is an incredible tool in our arsenal. Those of us that are Christians, it is a, he is an incredible gift that we've been given, a guide. But here's the thing about a guide. They're only good if you use them. Millions of people get millions. Lots of people. I made up that number from my butt. Lots of people get lost in the woods all the time when there's plenty of guides. It's only... It's only as you and I listen to the guide that it makes a difference in our lives. And I think of this, this as it relates to the Holy Spirit, I kind of think of it like, uh, like an engine in a Corvette, right? You and I, we could go out and we could buy a brand new 2024 Corvette for $80,000 with the Z51 engine in it and 695 brake horsepower and 670 pound-feet of torque, and it'll take you zero to 60 in under three seconds. You know? Okay. More money than I have. 140 grand. We could buy that Corvette, but if all we're going to do is drive to County Market for some milk or a quick trip for some bacon when it's on sale... Ain't going to do us much good. The engine's there, right? 
It's under the hood. It's been purchased. But it's not until we slam our foot into the floor and hit that power band at 6,500 RPM or wherever it is. It's not until then that the engine comes alive and begins to fulfill the very reason it was there. And I, that's, that's, that's just a, a small snapshot analogy of how I think it works with the Holy Spirit in our lives. The moment we put our trust in Jesus, the second we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He lives in us. But just because the Holy Spirit is in us doesn't mean that he's fulfilling his purpose in us. In the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, which kind of documents the birth of the church, we see several occasions where people are filled with the Holy Spirit or other, other times they use the word received the Spirit or were baptized in the Spirit. I don't know why God chooses to work this way. I don't want to make some sort of like dogmatic rule about it, but there is evidence after evidence after evidence, specific points in Acts, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, where we see this pattern happening over and over again, where people are Christians, they've put their trust in Jesus, but then as a second step, for lack of a better term, they are filled with the Holy Spirit or receive or are baptized in the Spirit. It's almost like the Holy Spirit is awakened in them. He was there already without a doubt, but for lack of a better term, almost like he's dormant. And if you and I want the Holy Spirit to guide our lives, the reality is there's a, a second sort of step that's needed. We need to ask or allow or utilize or acknowledge or fill in whatever other synonym works for your brain. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. He's there, but he's not going to force us. He's not going to take control of us. He will wait until we give him permission to say, Holy Spirit, I want you to do what you were sent to do in my life. And I just think, I think this right here, I think maybe it could be a missing step for so many of us when it comes to soul survival. This has nothing to do with being right with God. It has nothing to do with going to heaven when we die. That was all accomplished through Jesus. But now that we have access to God, he has sent us, dwells in us, a guide to walk us, and a guide that is always there, always present, always ready to help, never more than a thought or a word away. But will we lean into him? Will we listen? Will we follow the Holy Spirit's guidance in our life or not? That's a decision every single one of us have to make. And unlike putting your trust in Jesus, that's a one-time thing and we are right with God, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us is something we ought to do often, daily basis. In fact, maybe even more than daily. As often as we think of it, we ought to say, Holy Spirit, fill me again. Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do with this situation or this emotion that I'm dealing with, but I know you do. You are a counselor, a helper, a guide. Holy Spirit, I want you to do your work in me. And so as we wrap up this morning, what I want to do is just give us an opportunity to do that to ask the Holy Spirit to fill each one of us. The only prerequisite 
is that you have put your trust in Jesus. After that, we can ask and ask and ask again, Holy Spirit, do your thing. And I would just ask, as we, as we get ready to pray in a moment, I would ask if, if you want the Holy Spirit to fill you, either for the first time or again today, if you would just slip up your hand. It's not for God. It's just for myself and some other leaders here. We want to be praying for you this week. And so this will just be a sign. Can't memorize all the faces, but some that, that we can pray that you would begin to experience more of God's presence through the Holy Spirit in this coming week. If you're watching online, you can just leave a comment on the video as well or send us an email and we'll be praying for you too. But let's wrap up this morning. Let's just bow our heads and if you want the Holy Spirit to fill you, just slip up your hand. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for making a way to have access with you. But God, now that we are right with you, now that the door has been opened, Thank you for the guide. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask you right now to fill to fill us from the inside out. We want you to accomplish the very thing that you were sent to do. May you teach. May you remind. May you counsel. May you magnify the presence of our Father in my life, Holy Spirit. Every day, may you be transforming me more and more from the inside out. Every day, may you be producing your fruit in me. Holy Spirit, I believe you are my guide and I want to listen and follow you more. Thank you, Father, for such an incredible gift. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.